This is a production of Moore Memorial United Methodist Church, and we offer it to you as part of our vision to share the love of Christ through study, worship, and service. We hope that you enjoyed the snow day this week as much as we did and all the beauty and fun that it brought. If our church can be praying for you, we hope that you'll reach out to us. You can message us on Facebook or contact us through our website. Just search for Moore Memorial, M-O-O-R-E Memorial, and you should be able to find us. This week we asked the question, is God really active in the world? Or do we have to wait until we die to really know God? There's a lot at stake in that question for the world right now as the coronavirus and our political climate make things feel out of control. But if we learn anything from this story in Acts, it's that the Holy Spirit really does move in our midst and does that through the sacraments of baptism and communion. God is at work in our world even when it's hard to see, and God is mighty to save even sinners like you and me. Will you join me in prayer? Living God, when the Spirit descended on Jesus at his baptism in Jordan's water, you revealed him to be your own beloved Son. You anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Grant now that all who are baptized into his name may keep the covenant that they have made and boldly confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gift that is your word to us, your holy scriptures. We pray, Lord, that you would open them to us today as a way of inviting us into relationship with you. It's a remarkable thing that you, the God of the universe, are interested in being in relationship with us, and yet here we are. So we ask, O Lord, that you would open us to what it is that you have to say to us, that you would open us to the transforming power of your grace. This we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. 
He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they answered, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were twelve of them. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke out boldly and argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You pray with me and for me now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father, for it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're all sinners, deeper than we imagine that we are. This is what we talked about last week as we looked at how at the very core of our being, our inclination is to judge others more harshly than we judge ourselves. We're inclined to hold others to higher standards than we hold ourselves to, to judge others more harshly than we judge our own sin. We're inclined to see the speck in our brother or our sister's eye and try to get it out for them without noticing that there's a roof beam in our own eyes. And dealing with sin doesn't start with everyone else's sin. It starts with ours. But if we learn anything from the text today, it's that dealing with sin isn't something that we do out of our own power. And that's really good news. I should say as we get started that some people think that Jesus is boring, which would mean that talking about baptism in Jesus' name is boring. And shame on us for letting them think that. Because just the name of Jesus, just the utterance of his name has tremendous power. If you don't believe me, look ahead of our, or further beyond our text in the Gospel of Mark today. In Mark 9, 38, there's a man casting out demons in Jesus' name, and the disciples stop him because he's not one of the disciples of Jesus. He's not following after them. And they ask Jesus about it, and he says, you, you shouldn't have done that. Because whoever is not against us is for us, and anyone who's done powerful things in my name will not quickly speak evil of me. There is power and there is beauty 
in the name of Jesus. Even a man who wasn't following Jesus was casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Just to utter his name is to call on the one who made the heavens and the earth. There's nothing at all boring about talking about Jesus. So when Jesus goes to John to be baptized, John's been going around preaching a baptism of repentance. He's been saying, repent of your sin, turn away from the evil things that you have done, confess your sin, and be forgiven. And John has been baptizing them, he's been washing them in the Jordan River, and he's been telling them that someone greater than he is following after him. One whose sandals he isn't worthy to untie. John's teaching is true. That is, he's making the way straight for the arrival of Jesus. He's preparing the hearts of people throughout Judea and Jerusalem to to encounter Jesus and to recognize him for who he is because they have dealt with their sin. They have confessed their sin. He's preparing their hearts to encounter the Messiah their Savior. And they're coming out in droves to be baptized by John in the Jordan River, the place of entry for the Israelites when they came out of the, out of the wilderness and into the promised land. They came through the Jordan River on dry land, just like they had passed through the Red Sea at the beginning of their journey. He's preparing their hearts and he's teaching them about the one who's coming after him. One greater than I. Don't think too much of me, even though there are crowds flocking to be baptized because I baptize with water and he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and I'm not worthy to be his servant. John's teaching is true. And he's adopted this powerful symbol of cleansing and repentance that helps people acknowledge the reality of their needing to be cleansed of sin. It's such a powerful symbol that he's known by this aspect of his ministry. He is John the baptizer. So John is a faithful teacher and he implements this long-standing Jewish tradition of baptism to prepare the way of Jesus. He's got this teaching and he's got this symbol. And then Jesus comes into the waters to be baptized. And when he comes up from the water, The heavens are opened and the Spirit descends on him like a dove and a voice comes from heaven, You are my Son, the one whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And you may be wondering why Jesus needs to be baptized. Because Scripture teaches us that Jesus is like us in every respect except without sin. So why does he need to go through this ritual of cleansing? Jesus doesn't have anything to repent of. There's nothing for him to be forgiven for. There's no sin from which he needs to be delivered. But to ask this sort of question is is like to ask, why did Jesus need to be born? He didn't for his own sake. He did it for us. St. John Chrysostom says, Christ then did not need baptism. Not John's. Not anybody else's. Rather, baptism was needful of the power of Christ. Christ did not need baptism. Baptism was in need 
of the power of Christ. Jesus didn't need it, but his movement through the waters, his experience of baptism, infuses it with grace and power for his people. Something happens in Christian baptism. It's not the same thing as taking a bath or a ritual washing. In his baptism, Jesus reveals who he is. That he is the Son of God with whom God is well pleased. That he is in communion with the Holy Spirit. And that he is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. In his baptism, Jesus shows us who he is. And in our baptism, Jesus makes us like him, including giving us his spirit. Which all combines to let us make a little bit more sense of this really odd story from Acts. We're almost all the way through Paul's missionary work. He's been journeying back and forth across the Mediterranean, all over the place, preaching the gospel of Jesus suffering for Jesus. And he makes his way to Ephesus, this for the second time, and um, he's, he's been at this work for years as the church has grown like wildfire. As he comes into Ephesus, he asks these people that are described as disciples and believers if they've, if they've received the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's response was not to begin to teach them about a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Paul's response was to ask them about their baptism. If you've never heard of the Holy Spirit, in whose name were you baptized? If you weren't baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what sort of baptism did you receive? And they said, we received John's baptism. They didn't know about baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Paul explains to them what John had been teaching from before Jesus began his ministry. That John's baptism was one of repentance, a symbol of their repentance and desire for forgiveness, and that he taught them to believe in the one who is following after him. Jesus. John was a faithful teacher and he had this powerful symbol, but he told those who would listen that there was one coming after him who would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. His baptism was just simple water, and his teaching pointed them to Jesus. So Paul tells them this and then he baptizes them with Christian baptism. He baptizes them in the name of the Lord Jesus, and then he lays hands on them. This very physical thing, to get someone wet with water and then to lay hands on them. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they speak with tongues, and they prophesy. Now, it needs to be said that not everyone who has received the Holy Spirit has spoken in tongues and prophesied. And anyone who says otherwise hasn't read Paul's letters very closely. But when these twelve are baptized, when Paul lays his hands upon them, this is what they experience as their experience of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And as this happens, we begin to see the unity of the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus. When they hadn't heard of the Holy Spirit, Paul asks them about their baptism. When they answer only about John's baptism, he points out to them that John was showing the way to Jesus. And then when they are baptized in Jesus' name, in the name of the Lord, that brings them into contact with the Holy Spirit in a way that fundamentally transforms who they are. As I mentioned, these folks are already called disciples. They're already called believers. They are doing their very best to move along the way of Jesus. They've decided to follow Jesus and they're not turning back. They're doing so earnestly, but they don't yet have the whole story. They haven't yet encountered the power of Jesus. And when they encounter that, they receive the Holy Spirit. Just like the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove at his baptism, so too they receive the Holy Spirit at theirs. So what does God do with sinners? He invites us to be baptized. And he gives us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that reveals the character and nature of God to us and dwells in us and whose power is at work in us and through us to transform the lives of others, and to reveal God to them through our lives. The Holy Spirit that leaves us a little bit outside of what we can understand and far beyond what we can control. That's what's fundamentally discomforting about tongues, right? Is that even the people speaking them don't necessarily know what they're saying. And prophecy too, no one understands how it works. It's a little bit beyond our ability to control. And that is a vulnerable thing in the hands of anyone, but in the hands of a good God who has made us and loves us. When we receive Christian baptism, when we are entered into the body of Christ, when the Holy Spirit indwells us, we start to see the connection between body and spirit. The connection between belief and grace. The connection between grace and behavior. Paul does these very physical things. Baptism with water and the laying on of hands. And it leads to tremendous spiritual realities. The arrival of the Holy Spirit. Scripture says that all we have to do is, is call on the name of the Lord to be saved. These men have salvation. They want to follow Jesus. But in their baptism, something incredible happens. They learn something new about God. Not by the teaching of Paul, but by the grace that they receive through the water and the laying on of hands. That God wasn't just a story or an idea or some standard that they have to set their lives to. That God is a powerful force at work in the world and in their lives. When Paul writes a letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians, telling them about how their bodies affect their spiritual lives, he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God 
in your bodies. What does God do with sinners? He washes them clean inside and out through the waters of baptism and the power of His Holy Spirit, incorporating them into the life of Jesus, the resurrected life of Jesus. And at the mere mention of Jesus' name, with some simple water and the simple touch of hands, He changes everything. He incorporates them into the life of Jesus by the power of His Spirit. Baptism is not just a symbol. It is receiving the Holy Spirit, the Lord Himself, in power in our lives. And there's a calling that accompanies that. A calling that too many Christians pay too little mind to. The calling to glorify God in our bodies. If the Holy Spirit dwells within us, then our bodies are temples the place where God dwells. And so we, our bodies themselves, should glorify God in what we wear and what we eat and drink, with the ways that we love our neighbor, with every breath, with our strength, our thoughts, our time, our care for others, our service to others to love them. Maybe today you feel trapped in sin. Stuck in a loop that you can't escape your own. Caught by the chains of addiction Maybe you feel like you are too dirty to be loved. If you've never been baptized, there's no time better than now. And if you have been baptized, baptism isn't something that we repeat because it's God's work, not ours. But if you've spent too much time not treating your body like a temple of the Holy Spirit, living in the sins that Jesus has given you the power to leave behind, if you're not sure if the Holy Spirit has anything to do with you, there's no better time than to remember the presence of the Holy Spirit that is assured to you through your baptism. To remember that you are baptized and to be thankful. Because Jesus went into baptism and infused it with grace and showed us who He is. In our baptism, God starts to make us look like Jesus. God's power really is at work in us through baptism. And we can be thankful for that. Jesus loves sinners. He's like us in every way except sin, which means He's not one of us if we're all a group of sinners. But He comes to us anyway. And He goes to John to be baptized. And He infuses this really rich symbol with the power of His presence such that when we go through the same ritual, the Holy Spirit is guaranteed to us through faith. Remember your baptism and be thankful. And if you have been baptized, the calling is no less than to live your life as a temple to the Holy Spirit. If you've not been baptized, there's no time like the present to surrender to the power of the one who is mighty to save, who breaks every chain of oppression, who destroys every lie, who casts out all fear, who pushes away all anxiety, who is faithful to the end. And the Holy Spirit can dwell within you, comforting you, advocating for you, and making your life ever more like Jesus's so His light can shine forth through you and you can be a temple to Him. This is the promise 
and the deeply interesting thing about Jesus and his power. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you promise us your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would help us to surrender to the will of the Spirit in our lives, to listen to its promptings, to do its bidding. We pray, O Lord, that the Spirit would do its work in us to assure us of your forgiveness for our sins and to call us into lives of ministry that bring you glory and honor and praise. We pray this sincerely in your name, your powerful and precious name. Amen.